Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and each cried out. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Jonah began to go into the city, and the people of Nineveh believed God. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east, till he should see what would become of the city. Jonah, a fishy tale about a faithful God. All right, how we doing? That's good. We practiced that last week. Do you remember that? How we doing? <clears throat> well done. Well done. Uh, well, it is good to see all of you in church today. And uh, just another shout out to everyone watching at South Campus. Uh, glad to have you guys with us. And really, if you're watching online or listening on a podcast or whatever, it doesn't matter how you're with us. We're glad you're with us. Uh, before we really get into the message uh, today, uh, we do have a few churchy kind of things that we want to let you guys know about. Um, we just want you guys to be informed of all of the stuff. Uh, and so, as we have been a growing church, uh, we have recently made some staffing changes. Um, we, you know, we've added a campus and we've kind of grown. And so, as the church grows, so does the staff team. Uh, and so, uh, here's a few things we just want to keep you guys uh, in the know for, some of it you already know, some of it might be old news for you guys, but one of them uh, is that we have hired John Sherwood to be our South Campus pastor. And so I know some of you know that, but we announced that kind of similar to Christmas time and it got lost in the shuffle. And so uh, John and his wife Kelsey, they're at the South Campus every weekend and uh, just doing an awesome job over there. God is doing some fun things at South Campus. John is also our youth pastor here at the church and there is great things happening at youth ministry. So Wednesday nights right here, bring your teenagers, uh, good stuff is going on. Uh, secondly, we have also recently hired Catherine Cambers to be our new kind of full-time administrative assistant. And so that's, that's kind of a new position for us. That position has always been filled by a whole bunch of people working only so many hours a week and... Uh, we're probably way too late on this. <laughs> we're behind the ball on that one. Uh, this was a desperately needed position for us, and uh, we're really excited to bring Catherine in this role. And um, she's going to be organizing all that stuff, and part of her job is also helping me organize my life, which is going to be fantastic. And so, praise God for this new role. Uh, thirdly, uh, Natalie Esty. She has been on staff with us for four or five years now at the church. When I came to the church as the youth pastor. Uh, she was actually in youth group, and then uh, she became a volunteer, and then she was just crushing it, and we hired her. So she was a part-time youth pastor, and, and then we gave her part-time youth and part-time kids, and then she's just kind of been kids for the last few years and has been doing an excellent job as the church has grown, that job has grown, the amount of kids has grown. Uh, we, we added a campus that is a whole other kind of thing. Uh, that is such a pivotal role in the life of our church. And 
Uh, Natalie's just done really good with that. Not an easy job. It's probably the, the job at the church that needs the most people to be a part of it and the most people to help make it happen. Um, and so um, she's done great, but she's going to be transitioning out of children's ministry. She's not leaving the church, okay? That's the good, that's the good news. Uh, but we're moving Natalie over into a new role uh, where she's going to be really in her wheelhouse. Natalie is passionate about and gifted about seeing people grow in their faith. That is where she excels. And, and so she's going to be helping us with all of that kind of spiritual formation. She's going to be taking on groups uh, to have one less thing on Dave's plate, who's already swamped as it is. And she's going to be taking on, like, how do we disciple new believers? How do we get new people plugged into the church and plugged into ministry? And, and how do we help develop better leaders to develop better leaders? And that's, that is where Natalie is fantastic. And uh, so she's excited about that, and we're excited about that. Um, but what that means now is that we're officially on the hunt for a new kids pastor. Uh, we don't have one. I don't have a fun announcement for you today. But we've hired... No, we don't know. We, have, we don't know. Um, Natalie's going to keep carrying this thing into the spring, and so we don't need to really worry about it like right now. Um, but we would, we would really love for you guys to be praying for us as we are kind of beginning officially the, the search kind of for a kids pastor. And this is, uh, like I said, a, a huge role in the life of our church, and we're praying for the perfect person that can come give vision and energy and excitement to uh, Crosspoint as we enter into a new season of ministry. Uh, and so I hope you will all join us in praying that way and uh, letting us know if you hear of anyone who would be awesome at that. Uh, Natalie, like I said, she's not leaving, but she's done an awesome job. She has invested so many hours into your children. And uh, so if you see her this weekend and in these coming days, be sure to give her big awkward hugs. They, she loves them. They're her favorite. And uh, tell her she's done an awesome job. And uh, we're looking forward to this new, kind of this new step forward for the church. We're in exciting days, aren't we? And so keep praying, keep coming, keep bringing people, keep giving, keep doing all of the things um, as God just kind of continues to bless us at the church. Cool? Awesome. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I know that you've got a word for us tonight, and uh, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your truth. We want to hear from your spirit. I pray that we would be open to what it is you would say to us in this place. Um, Jonah chapter 4 is a bit of a doozy, and uh, I pray that we would really focus in and hear from you and your word, and I pray you would use it to help us and change us and grow us, and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, today is the day that Jonah comes to an end. It is a four-chapter book, and we are in chapter four. And uh, some of you are thinking, oh, good, it's my first time here, and we're in the last chapter of a book I don't know. Uh, but we'll, we'll get you all up to speed. It'll make perfect sense regardless of how familiar you are with Jonah. Jonah was a prophet, and God told him to go to this big city called Nineveh and, and go preach the message that God is going to destroy you guys. Right? You, you, you get a change or destruction is coming. And, and Jonah just kind of says, no, no, I'd rather not do that. Number one, Nineveh is an awful, evil, twisted, barbaric city. Not interested in going there. Number two, it's full of my enemies. That's where the Assyrians live. They are my rivals. I hate them. I don't want anything to do with them. Not going to Nineveh. Um, and so he, he takes off. 
Nineveh would be modern-day Iraq, and he gets on a boat that's headed to Tarshish, which is modern-day kind of south of Spain. And so if you were choosing a vacation, you would also go to Spain. And that's what he does. But God is not done with Jonah. Jo uh, God pursues Jonah and, and sends him, which is good. Isn't it good news that God pursues you? That even when you walk away, even when you walk in disobedience, when you're not on the right path, God will pursue you because he loves you that much. And, and so he hunts down Jonah, sends this big storm to kind of mess up his, his boat ride, and eventually they toss him into the water, and he is swallowed by a fish. But remember, we thought, well, that would seem like punishment, getting swallowed by a fish. That was actually provision, because God uses that fish to save his life, and, and it is in the belly of that fish where Jonah kind of does a 180. He's like, oh, probably shouldn't run from God. Maybe he knows what he's doing. And the fish spits Jonah out onto a beach, and God asks him again, you should go to Nineveh. And he gives him a second chance. He gives him so much grace. And, and so this time, Jonah obeys. And, and we talked about that phrase, this time. God gives us this times to try it again. And so this time, he goes with God, and he goes into Nineveh, and he preaches the, the message that God gives him. Eight words. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed, right? Like, that, that was it. God sends one guy into a huge city, gives him eight words, and the whole city turns to God. The, the entire city has this huge revival. They turn from their evil ways. They, they pray that God would forgive them. And, and it's just kind of this fantastic ending. So chapter one is Jonah runs from God. Chapter two is Jonah runs to God. Chapter three is Jonah runs with God. And in a perfect world, that's where the story ends, right? Like if Hollywood were to make a movie about Jonah, that's where they would have ended it, right? Jonah learns a valuable lesson. Bad people turn good. The end. It'd be great. That, that's where that story should wrap up. Jonah would be in the Preacher Hall of Fame. One sermon, 120,000 people got saved. Write your book and retire. You're done, right? Like, this is a great story, but the story is not over. See, the story of Jonah has a bit of a twist ending. It's, you're about to get shamalond, if you know what that means. Um, because, well, we think, oh, what a good story. Jonah did a good thing. People got saved. See, what we don't know is that God doesn't just look at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And what we don't know is what was happening in Jonah's heart this entire time. We thought Jonah was doing a good thing, but Jonah's heart was far from being in a good place. And so chapter 4 is all about how Jonah runs against God. Have you ever run against the wind? Isn't that, or biked against the wind? Isn't that the worst? Right? And you're, you're running and the wind is just pushing you. And uh, the, the complete opposite is so much better when you're running with the wind. And it's just carrying, you know, great wind can like push a kid right off of their feet. It's awesome, right? Running with the wind is way better than running against it. And, and so chapter four is how Jonah decides to run against God. And so we're going to actually start in chapter three, verse 10. This is the last verse from last week. And it says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened, right? So that was Jonah's message. You guys are going to get destroyed. And it, it just doesn't happen, right? You people were awful. You get what's coming to you. Look out. And then he doesn't do it. 
He doesn't destroy them. He, he shows them grace, which kind of brings the question to mind is, can God change his mind? Is that allowed to happen? Like, is there room in your theology for God to say one thing and then do another? Does that make God a liar? You're going to be destroyed. No, no, just joking. And he doesn't. He doesn't do it. That is the big question that Jonah is wrestling with as we start chapter 4. So here we go. Verse 1 said, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. Now, if you stop right there, how many of you would agree that having your plans changed is awful, right? No one likes that. You've got your day mapped out, or your week, or a vacation is all planned. You got an appointment made, you're going to go get your hair did, or whatever it is, and, and you're all ready, and then you get that call that says, no, it's canceled, it's been postponed, can't make it, your flight was canceled, the, you know, whatever, the mall is shut down, and then you're just like, ah, and you're irritated, and it's annoying, but here's the thing, those are just minor inconveniences. Those will get fixed. You can go get your hair did tomorrow, right? They're still going to be there. It's okay. But, but for Jonah, this is more than just your plans get changed. It says he is greatly angry. He's very angry and upset that this has happened. And you've got to ask yourself, why? What is Jonah so angry about? Why? Is, it, is Jonah angry that revival happened? Is Jonah angry that a whole bunch of people turned to God? Is Jonah angry that families were spared from destruction? Like, does any of that make sense? What, what is he to be angry at? Shouldn't he be on God's side? Right, if you're a prophet, shouldn't you want what God wants? Like, how can you be upset that revival just went through the city that you preached in? What is he angry about? It'd be like me being super upset. Like, guys, we got to find a new kids pastor because families keep coming to church. All these people are showing up. I'm furious. We got to shut this thing down. Right? Like, wouldn't it be weird if your pastor was upset that God was doing good things? So why is Jonah upset? Didn't God just do a good thing? Didn't, didn't God do something that, that was very God-like and full of grace and, and compassion? Wasn't it a nice thing? Verse 2. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That that's why I ran away from Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. This is what he's complaining about. You're eager to not destroy people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. So Jonah is a bit of a crazy man. Right? You think Jonah's lost his mind a little bit here, and now we know why he ran away. We, we've talked about it for a few weeks, but he's kind of coming clean and saying, this is the reason I ran. It wasn't just because Nineveh was a terrible city, and it's not even just that they're my enemies. The reason I ran is that I knew if I went and told them to repent, they would and you would save them. The reason I'm upset is that I knew you would be compassionate, and I don't want you to be compassionate to my enemies. I didn't want to come do this because I knew that you would just follow through and be God and be nice and change your mind. See, Jonah would rather see his enemies be destroyed by God than saved by God. 
That's the issue. So it's a weird situation. Because on the one hand, what he's saying here is kind of awful, but on the other hand, that guy's got a lot of faith. It's in the wrong direction. But that guy's got a lot of faith. He has a lot of confidence in God, doesn't he? I don't want to go preach because I know that you're a God who follows through. I don't want to preach because I know you're merciful and compassionate and you're just going to go be merciful and compassionate. That drives me nuts about you. Right? So he's got a ton of faith that God actually will do what he says he'll do. Jonah has more negative faith than some of us have positive faith. Right? Some of us are like, I don't want to tell my friends about God. I don't want to bring my friends to church because they'll, they won't come. They won't believe it. They'll think I'm weird. It, it's just not going to go well. And, and, and Jonah's like, I don't want to talk to my friends about God because they'll meet him and have their life unbelievably transformed. Right? So he's got really good faith. His heart is just horrible. And so that's the real issue with Jonah. He's just confident that God is going to show up and be God. Some of us would do well to have that much faith if it was the right way. And so God responds to him kindly with a question in verse 4. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Notice how he doesn't say, uh, are you sure you should be upset? Can we? He goes, is it right? God's kind of asking a deliberate question that walks into some pretty deep morality type issues. Is it right? Is it right that I forgive people who have done bad things? Is it right that I show grace to people when they turn to me? Is it right that I didn't punish Nineveh for doing terrible things? I mean, those are, those are pretty good questions, actually, when you stop and think about them. Is it right that even people that I don't like, people that I disagree with, people who are wrong and evil, is it right that they also get saved? So now it's getting a little personal. Right? Last week, the whole point was, we are Jonah, right? We have, we have run from God, made mistakes. He gave us a second chance, and we're like, woo, we're Jonah. And this week, we're like, am I still Jonah? Am I still Jonah in chapter 4? Because he's this is this is getting deep. This is kind of he's kind of a jerk in here. But the story is asking us: Have you also been like this? Have you also ever been there and asked these same kind of questions? Are there people in the world that you would rather see destroyed than be saved? And maybe that's a bit harsh. Different question: Are there people in the world that you would rather see them get what's coming to them? than to be shown grace. See, now we're like, oh, maybe I am a little bit like Jonah still. Because if we're going to be completely honest, aren't there those people in the world for you? Here's the big, kind of the big deal for us today, is that when it comes to sin, we want grace for us, but we want justice for everyone else. I want grace for me. Jonah messed up. Jonah disobeyed God. He did a lot of dumb things. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm glad I have grace, but they don't deserve it. I, I deserve it, but they deserve punishment. They deserve justice. I mean, that, that's kind of the, the big issue for Jonah. He was great at receiving grace, but he didn't want to extend that same grace to anybody else. I deserve it, but they don't. What he's doing is he's kind of putting sin on a scale. 
and saying, mine's not as bad as theirs. And you get into some pretty, pretty interesting territory when you do that. I remember that Nineveh was the worst of the worst for him. They were just the worst people on the planet, his, his biggest enemies. So I want us to think of that. Who's that for us? Who are, who are just the people that infuriate you and anger you? That like you, you think of ISIS. You think of terrorists. You think of extremists. And you think of the horrific crimes they have committed. And they kidnap children and behead Christians. And it's just awful. And you see it on the news. And you're like, I am angry at you. I hope you get what's coming to you. I hope you get punished for the way that you have been living. But yet, isn't the same sin that's in their heart in ours? Would you be okay if God showed up in the heart of ISIS territory and saved a whole bunch of them? Would you be okay if they didn't get what was coming to them, but they found Jesus? See, that's hard. And I will freely admit to being a little bit like Jonah when it comes to this. And you watch the news, and you see the atrocities, and, and you just, God, I hope you do something about that. But usually my doing something about that looks a little bit different than God's. Would I rather see them get destroyed or saved? Am I more likely to want people to get justice, but I'm wanting grace? See, the problem is that we play a comparison game where we say, my sin's not as bad as your sin. What I've done isn't nearly as bad as what you guys have done, and so I, I'm deserving of a second chance, but you guys deserve punishment. I mean, I'm not nearly as bad as the stuff that you've done. I, you know, and what we do, in essence, when that happens, is we made ourselves the judge. We have crawled up into the chair of the throne, and we've said, I, I'm going I'm to be the judge of sin. Who should be the judge of sin? <laughs> Just one guy. And whenever we do it, that's fairly heretical. That's not a great place to be. We are not the judge of sin. We are not allowed to look around and say, no, mine's not as bad as yours. Yours is way worse than mine is. We, we don't get to do that. Um, a phrase we, we find ourselves saying to our children as parents right now uh, is, you're not the parent. Any other parents pulled that one out lately? You're not the parent, right? And this will happen when, when one kid decides to tell another kid how to behave or there will be consequences. You're going to stop talking to me like that right now, or I'm going to take your iPad. And you're, no, and, and we're, we're sitting right there on the couch. I'm like, you're not the parent. You don't get to say that. You, you don't, you're not above her. Do you know what you did 12 minutes ago? <laughs> right? Like, you're not the parent. You know, what Jonah is doing here is the same thing. He's saying, I'll be God in this circumstance. You guys don't deserve grace. And God's like, uh, no, you know what? I'll be the judge of that, actually. You don't get to decide that. You don't get to be the God, the ruler, the judge. You, you don't get to look at sin and determine who's right and wrong or who's worse or better. They're not the parent. And we, and we do the same thing every time we think we correctly judge someone else's sin as being different or worse than ours. We're like, oh, I got this one, God. You take a break. I'll handle this one from here on out. It's a pretty dangerous path. 
And notice Jonah doesn't actually ever answer God's question. Verse 5 says, Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. <laughs> what a baby! All right, so number one, he doesn't even answer God. But number two, he like storms off and sits on a hill and he's still waiting to see Nineveh get destroyed. He's like, no, this is still going to happen. Right, this, I'm still going to see this happen. You're still going to destroy them. It's like when a kid throws a fit on the floor and they're like, I'm not moving till I get my own way. That's Jonah in verse five. He's a little bit dramatic. Have you noticed that? Jonah is slightly dramatic. In verse 3, did you catch the part where he's like, I'd rather be dead than see Nineveh get saved. I'd rather die right here. I'd rather be dead than for God to do thing God's way. I'd rather be dead than for God to be right. He's still hoping God's going to follow through with destruction. He set up a little camp. He's going to sit there and wait for it to happen. He wants a front row seat to his enemies being obliterated. And God has already said, it's not, it's not going to happen. Verse 6. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And as soon as it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun, this eased his discomfort. Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Oh, good. Now, I have some nice shady breeze as I get to watch Nineveh get destroyed. Verse 7, but God also arranged for a worm. Notice in this story, God's pretty good at arranging things. He's already arranged a storm. He then arranged a whale. Now he arranges a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. And then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because a plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted. <laughs> Even angry enough to die. So God is so smart. And what he does here is he basically does like old school Sunday school object lesson with plants. And instead of people, now he's using a plant. And he's asking Jonah the same question. Is it right for you to be mad that this plant died? It's just a plant. What a minor, insignificant thing. And he's, Jonah's so angry. This is the third time in this one chapter where he's like, I'd rather be dead. Like, we, we know. You, you, like, you're off your rocker, man. I'd rather be dead than have my plant gone. Like, you're, you're willing to die over a plant all of a sudden? And this is about something he didn't even have a few hours ago. I think about this. This plant was a gift from God. It was from God's hand. God arranged it. He grew it. He brought the shade. He, Jonah didn't do a thing to get that plant. Didn't plant it. Didn't attain it. Didn't water it. How quickly do we get entitled over things that God has given us? How quickly we think that we have ownership over something that was a gift from God in the first place, and now we think it's ours, and, and I have a right over this, and, and I should have some kind of say in what happens with this. God's like, I gave you that plant. I can kill that plant. I can make you never see another plant again in your life. Like, 
how quickly we become entitled. And Jonah is furious. Entitlement is one of the most subtle and sneaky illnesses that can find its way into your heart. It can wreck us. The Lord explains himself in verse 10. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? The end. There's no more verses. We don't ever hear Jonah's response. We don't ever hear anyone's response. The, the story ends with a question. You know why we don't hear Jonah's response? Because this story's not about Jonah. His response doesn't matter. The story is asking us this question. God is asking us this question. Shouldn't I feel sorry for this nation of 120,000 people who are in darkness? Shouldn't I care about them? God's not concerned with Jonah's answer. He's concerned with ours. Shouldn't I have forgiveness and grace for all people? Shouldn't I offer my love and forgiveness to people who are in darkness? Is everyone deserving of the grace of God? Right, like We have to answer that question, all of us. This is something that, that we have to make our minds up. This is the main point of the story of Jonah. It's to show the heart of God for all of his people and then ask us, are you okay with that? Are you okay with the worst of the worst sinners being saved? Are you okay with your enemies getting a second chance? Are you okay with the people you don't like and you disagree with? Are, are, are you okay with them being showed the same grace that you got? That's a hard one. That's who God is, though. See, God is for all people. God's grace is for all people. His, his mission and, and his joy and his heart and his... It's, it's for all people that would... He wants them all to know God. Nobody is more or less deserving of Jesus Christ. Nobody. There's not a scale. We are all equally deserving of the salvation of Jesus Christ. Amen? You're not more deserving of it than anyone else. You're not less deserving of it than anyone else. We are all equally loved and created and purposed by God for this earth. And to think that somehow there is a less deserving person out there because what they did is worse, their sin was wrong, what infected their heart was different than what infected my heart is, is one of the worst sins that can crawl into you. It is self-righteousness. A self-righteousness that says to myself, I'm righteous, unlike them. I'm better than them. I deserve forgiveness and blessing from God rather than them. No one is disqualified from the grace of God. Nobody. Nobody. God's grace is for every race. Isn't it? That's his heart and his desire. In fact, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, there was a guy named John who got a vision of heaven. God gave him a just super clear vision of the end days and of heaven. And verse 9 says, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation, 
and every tribe and every people and every language standing in front of the throne of God. That is who will be in heaven. Every nation. Every, every nation, tongue, tribe, language. Heaven will not be a whole bunch of middle-class white people. This is who God is for. Everybody. That's who he wants to see in heaven is everybody, regardless of race or gender or tendencies or sin or whatever the case might be. From atheists to ISIS, God is for them. From America to Syria, he's for them. He wants to see them changed. He wants to see them saved. He wants to see them come to the cross and say, I am in need of a Savior. Nineveh did that. They repented. They said, we've done a bad thing, and they turned to God. That is his desire for all people. God says, shouldn't I care about those people? And this is why, this is why God asked Jonah to go. This is why God didn't let Jonah off the hook, because he knew his heart was turned away from those people. His heart was hardened towards those people. And he was going to force him to face his, his own thoughts and feelings about this entire group of people. And he asked him, can you, can you put your own sinful views aside long enough to want these people to get saved? Can you put your own preferences aside long enough that you would pray for your enemy to find salvation? Do you pray for your enemies, church? Do you pray for people who dislike you? Do you pray for the people you disagree with? Do you pray for the people who disagree with you? Do you want them to find Jesus and get saved? Or do you really secretly hope they get what's coming to them? The story is actually really similar to the prodigal son. If you remember that story, Jesus told it about two brothers. And, and the little brother, he takes his dad's money and he goes off and lives the party life and he kind of hits rock bottom and he decides, I got to crawl back home and, and, and maybe I can be a slave. But while he's kind of crawling back full of shame, his dad sees him in the distance and runs to him and gives him a huge hug and says, we're going to go celebrate because my son who is dead is now alive. This is a huge moment, and, and, and Nineveh is kind of like the prodigal son. They have done some terrible things. I mean, it was awful, and they hit rock bottom. And God looks at them and says, but no, there's grace for you, because you are dead, but now you're alive. There's a second chance for you, but see, there's a second character in the prodigal son, and it's the older brother. See, the older brother in the prodigal son story he stood outside the party and he looked in and he was angry at his dad. And his dad comes out and he's like, why aren't you in there partying? He's like, because that son of yours, doesn't even say my brother, that son of yours did awful things and you're throwing him a party. You, you, you're having steak because that guy went and ruined his life and came back home. I've lived for you the right way my whole life and you haven't done anything for me. That's how that story ends. And see, this is Jonah. Jonah's the older brother. He, he's on the outside of the city looking down, thinking, God, why did you do that? I, I've, I've been your prophet. I've been your guy my whole life. And, and, and you're giving them grace? You're, you're showing them compassion? You're going to save a whole city? Don't you know what they've done? Don't you know how evil they've been? And, he, and he's furious with them. He is so full of self-righteousness. 
to somehow miss the fact that he was full of the same sin and was shown the same grace, that God loved him just as much, that the dad loved the older brother just as much. But he also needed forgiveness. See, Jonah, he wants them to get destroyed. He doesn't realize that it was just like three days ago that he needed grace. How quickly he forgets. He still stinks like fish. That's how, that's how recent his grace was. And already he doesn't want other people to have it. It's because he thought he was better than them. He thought he was above them. He thought he was different than them. See, grace is a scandal. Grace is offensive because people don't get what they deserve. And we think they should because they get a second chance when we would never give them one. It's a scandal until you realize that you needed it too. And then you're like, oh yeah, no, grace is great. How easily we become entitled and self-righteous thinking, I'm the good person. Don't I deserve the party all the time? No, we're all the same. We're all the same. That's why we have Jesus, because we all needed a savior. We all needed grace. We all need that compassion. But everyone else gets it too, even your enemies, even your rivals, even the people who anger you and make you mad. I mean, the question that Jonah asks us is, how is your heart for lost people? How is your heart for minorities? How is your heart for other religions? How is your heart for people that frighten you and confuse you? It's like when Jesus, uh, he, he was telling the story of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus is like, you should love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> and one of the guys listening was like, so who's my neighbor? As if to say, what are my loopholes? Who am I allowed to not love right now? I just, I just need to know who I'm supposed to be loving like myself. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and the Good Samaritan being the only one that stopped to help out the Jewish person. But see, the Samaritans were hated. They were unclean. They were Gentiles. They weren't safe. People were afraid of them. If Jesus were to retell that story today, he would retitle it, The Good Iraqi Muslim. He would title it, The Good Pro-Choice Lesbian. Are we stepping on some toes yet? He would find the person that, that you don't agree with, that makes you uncomfortable, that makes you angry, that you're just like, no, that's not good. That's not okay. I'm against that person. I don't like the way they believe. And Jesus is like, do you love your neighbor like yourself? Should I show them as much compassion as I showed you? Is it right for me to just give it to you and not to them? Didn't I create them? Don't they have a purpose? Didn't I die for them? Didn't I bleed for their sin? Who do you think you are that you are the only one deserving of that? I'm for all people. Even the people you don't get. Even the people you're most annoyed with. Even the people who make you angry. This is a hugely important biblical principle in our world right now. And this is our turn to do, to do what's right. To do what's good and loving and holy. To do the thing that Jesus called us to do, which is to love all people. To love our neighbors as ourselves. To show grace and compassion. To be pleased that God would be God. To be pleased that, that God would show compassion to these people. We're not the only ones who needed grace and love. 
I'm thankful for a God who looked at me and all my sins, even the ones I haven't done yet. Who knows what awful, atrocious thing I'm going to do someday. It's forgiven. And so I should be thankful that he does that for everyone. And I know, I know there's a lot of us in this room who would say, oh, no, I don't have issues with anyone. I don't have any of those, you know, I don't, I'm not against a nation or a race or a belief. I'm, 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 but if you were really to look in your heart, there's probably some stuff in there where you put yourself a bit on a pedestal. You make yourself a little more deserving. Well, no, I'm the one who's obeying the Bible. I'm the one who's right. I'm the one who can quote scripture on Facebook. Love your neighbor as yourself. Man, chapter four is beefy, isn't it? It was so much easier had he just stopped at chapter three. But he doesn't. He goes one step further and he messes with our heads and with our hearts. And he says, guess what? You don't get to be the judge of who's deserving or not. You don't get to be the judge of who's lesser or greater. All you get to do is accept my grace and my salvation and then love everyone else and hope and pray that I do the same for them. Isn't that what you want? Don't you want to see all tribes, all tongues, all nations in heaven? We're going to see, we're going to see a bunch of people from Nineveh in heaven. I don't know where Jonah will be. I hope he's there. But all we can do is what God asks us to do. And it's hard and it's big and it's so unbelievably important right now. So I'm going to pray for us that we can do that. Amen? Uh, Jesus, you really messed things up. <laughs> when you asked us to do hard things like love our enemies and love our neighbors as ourselves, when you told stories like the Good Samaritan, when you threw the older brother into the prodigal son, you're really, you're really kind of infringing on really good spiritual people like a lot of us are. And so God, I pray right now for every person in this room, myself included, myself perhaps most of all, who has self-righteousness in their heart, who has entitlement in their heart, who thinks that somehow they're, they're better or more deserving or whatever the case might be. God, I pray that you would give us a brand new broken heart for lost people in our world. I pray that instead of being angry at them and, and, and venting about them and being furious, I, I pray that we pray for them. I pray that, that we would weep for them, that we would want to reach them that we, would, that we would give cold water to people who need it rather than shutting them out because we don't like them. God, I pray that you would change our hearts. I, I pray for the church in North America who's been so comfortable and entitled for so many years. God, I pray that you would stir something up in us, that you would break our hearts, that we would mourn for the lost that we would go to them and preach the good news of the cross and of the blood of Jesus and salvation for all people. So good, I, would, I just pray that you'd help us. It's hard. Change us, Holy Spirit. Soften our hearts. Break down our walls. Help us to go be your messengers. You're good and you've done it for us. And we love you for it. I pray that we would be broken at the grace that we have received. We love you. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. 
the church said, amen. So that was, that was thick. And so as we wrap up, as we sing, if you need to pray, whatever you need to do, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would consider whatever God might be speaking to you about right now. And uh, thank you. We love you. Uh, when the song's done, feel free to take off or linger or pray, whatever you need to do. Um, in Jonah chapter 4, I didn't write it, but I had to preach on it. And I pray that God would use it to stir something up in your hearts tonight.